guys, welcome to the Twiniversity Podcast, a show created exclusively for parents of twins. I'm your host, Natalie Diaz. I am a mom of twins. I am also the Twiniversity founder, and I am the best-selling author of the book, What to Do When You're Having Two. Our goal at Twiniversity is to make sure that you always feel connected, we laugh at the little things, and we really do get to teach you a few tricks along the way. And that is what we hope this podcast is about to do. So welcome to Twiniversity. Kids, I envy you. I so envy you because truth be told, your options have never been better with Dr. Brown's Options Plus Wide Neck Bottles. From nipple to base, it eases the transition from breast to bottle and back again. Each nipple is specifically engineered to offer the same consistent natural flow so that you and your twins know what to expect at every feeding. The new breast-like nipple shape is correctly contoured for a proper latch and a more natural bottle feeding experience. So together with the anti-colic internal vent system, your twins will feed with minimal fuss. And when your babies are no longer gassy, remove the venting system and continue to use the Options Plus bottle without the extra parts. Brilliant! It really is brilliant. You guys are so lucky. So for more information on the Dr. Brown's Options Plus bottle, visit drbrownsbaby.com. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of our Twiniversity podcast. Um, I don't even know where to start today. Today is going to be something that could hit you a little bit harder than you expected to, but in general, I think it's a conversation that we, we really, really need to have. Today we're talking about trauma and parenting. I know that there's topics on birth trauma. I know there's topics about, you know, military trauma and there's, there's a million different types of trauma, but today we are specifically talking about trauma and parenting. So when we were researching this topic, we are so lucky to have a, uh, a Twiniversity mom, a true t- twin mom, well actually a twins plus one mom. So today we're speaking with um, Rebecca Hulls, who's a licensed professional counselor, and she's certified in a specific type of therapy called EDMR. Now, I personally had never heard of it, and in, in such an excited way, I googled something because I love researching new topics, and I am blown away, and I think that this might be the key to helping a lot of parents get through the tougher times And they might not even realize that they had tough times, but it explains a lot. So without further ado, welcome, Rebecca. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yay. Insert applause here. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. This is, um, it's something that I I, I don't think people want to listen to. I have a feeling like it's one Mm. of those podcasts that, you could easily be in denial and say, no, everything's fine. Let's just continue sweeping it under the rug. What's the big deal? You know, parenting is, you know, stressful. Parenting is tough. Why? There's no such thing as parenting trauma. My mother wouldn't have had parenting trauma. My grandmother would be mocking me that I'm saying that parenting Mm -hmm. is traumatic. Tell us a little bit about how you got into you know, the, the whole trauma section of counseling. And I really need you to explain to our families what this EDMR is because it's not a musical band. Um, and it's that's correct. Like I, like I originally thought, Rebecca. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's EMDR, which stands for eye movement desensitization. I said and it again. I said it wrong again. 
Rebecca, I literally yes. wrote it wrong again. I'm showing you. What is wrong with me? Yes, EMDR. It is all good. EMDR, yeah. So eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is a lot of words. So we just abbreviate it to EMDR because it's a mouthful. Um, so to talk about, okay, how did, first of all, everybody has trauma. Everybody. And that is something that we have more recently come to understand. Um, we used to think that trauma was only those major, major life events that anybody could look at and say, oh my goodness, that must have been traumatic. Um, you know, natural disasters, major bereavements and deaths, um, tragic accidents, war. That was what we classified as trauma. So in that when we talked about PTSD, we talked pretty exclusively about, about military. But we've since come to understand that, that trauma is across the spectrum. We have those major trauma moments. We refer to those as big T trauma. We also have what we call small T trauma or developmental trauma, which is just those little moments in life that almost drip, drip, drip of events that happen to us that reinforce a certain way in which we see the world. We, it reinforces what's safe for us to do, feel, believe, and what's not safe for us. Those show up for everybody. So yes, our parents, grandparents probably experienced a lot of trauma. It was just never addressed. Mm -hmm. And so they went about life you know, managing it how they knew best. And it shows up in the way that we do life. It doesn't mean to stay, say it always stays unresolved. Everybody has different ways of processing trauma. Mm -hmm. The brain tries to process trauma naturally for the most part by uh, talking it out um, just over time. Um, we're able to process trauma by having new and um, opposing experiences can help to process that trauma. But for some of us, there are elements of trauma that go unprocessed and those show up in how we do life, especially in how we do parenting, because yeah. um, we are oftentimes as parents acting impulsively. We're, mm -hmm. we're making on the spot decisions. Um, it's constant. It's relentless. And those, you know, that type of lifestyle is going to bring out um, those earlier experiences in us. It's going to show up in how we do life. Now, Rebecca, do you think that as a twin parent and as a professional, do you suspect that twin parents have more trauma? Um, possibly. I, I would say they may be more susceptible to mm -hmm. having trauma that stems from well, pregnancy, birth, and onwards. Um, everybody is equally likely to maybe have had trauma prior to that pregnancy. But mm. as you know, what we know about twin pregnancies is that they generally tend to be higher risk. Um, generally um, speaking, there's a higher likelihood of more complicated births now and again, and then NICU time. You know, that, that's that kind of experience is a little more likely with with multiple pregnancies than with singletons so from that perspective yes i also think um two babies is uh, tougher than one many times <laughs> especially if there are other siblings as well and so yeah. if there's limited support even if there is good support yes it's a lot it's a lot on the nervous system it's a lot on the brain to process it's massive star shifts um in, and I've had a singleton first, so I know what that was like with one, and then I know what it was like with two, and it was very different. It was uh, more limiting for a while. It felt more overwhelming for a while and still does at times. So, 
Yes, perhaps. I would say depending on what life was like prior to that pregnancy and what that birthing, uh, the pregnancy birth and post-birth experience has been like, absolutely. So now your twins are two and you have an older child that's six. So you really have been there and done that, right? So you have all that. Mm -hmm. How do you think that being a twin parent or do you think that being a twin parent has affected the way that you counsel parents? Yes, for sure. Um, I have developed a lot more empathy, a lot more more patience. Uh, And I also um, obtained my EMDR certification, which is a 10-month process to the certification, uh, shortly after the twins were born. So it really opened doors for me in terms of understanding my trauma background, what what developmental trauma I have experienced that shows up in how I parent. That has really helped me to give myself more grace, to work on my stuff, and to recognize when my stuff shows up in yeah. the way that I parent my children. What a, what a gift for your kids. And, you know, another great thing for your children is that knowing that mental health is as equal in importance as physical health by having mm-hmm. a mom in, you know, as a mental health professional it's extraordinary. And I do believe that most of the world is breeding out that stigma of mental health mm-hmm. equals weakness. I think that that yeah. is, and, and in my yeah. children's generation, so my kid, my twins are 15. And in my twins, it's mm-hmm. so common for them to say, you know, oh, this so-and-so is in therapy. It's almost like it's normal. It's as it seems as normal here in New York City as it is for people getting braces. It's just that's yeah. what happens. You know, if you need help, mm-hmm. if my leg was broken, a doctor would set it. My teeth need to be fixed. An orthodontist is going to help me. If I can't get rid of these blues or I'm too stressed, then I have a doctor that's able to help me through this or a therapist through this. And I love, love that this is now the norm, at least it's the norm in our house, which I'm very blessed yeah. and to, to have children that are so open-minded to realize that, yeah, you know what? Mm-hmm. Everything is not perfect all the time. And I, I right. really, I was talking to one of my friends yesterday who's going through a very traumatic period and she said, it's okay, it's okay. And I'm like, actually, it's really not okay. And don't keep saying that it's okay because mm-hmm. your children are sitting right next to you. It's, it's not okay. Yeah. Like that, that's not yeah. acceptable. You have to realize that everything that we do is having a direct impact on our children, which is why I think it's, it is important to look into this, you know, this trauma history of your life, perhaps because it really may mm-hmm. be reflecting on how you're raising your children. So Rebecca, when you are speaking to a parent for the first time and you're kind of having that like initial consultation, because you have this EMDR, I believe I said it correctly this time. Did I? Do yeah, okay, yeah, you, you did. Because you have this this EMDR, you know, certification, and this is kind of your 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 niche. Do you instantly, every time you're speaking to somebody, start looking for trauma? And are you kind of like that that little dog at the airport that is sniffing out the trauma to say, okay, well, you know what? If we could find this, then we could fix this. In some ways, yes. Um, EMDR is what we would call a bottom-up 
type of therapy. So other types of therapy like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy are what we call top down therapy processes. We start with what are you thinking and how does your thought impact the way you behave? And then let's talk about how that feels in your body. Bottom up therapies talk about how does it feel in your body? And then let's talk about how does that make you what cognitions does that generate for you and how does that make you do life? So CBT, DBT, I use that too. It can be really, really great. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- some things like trauma, it's stored in the body. And we can think all day long, well, I know that that's not a, uh, a positive cognition. I know that that's not rational, but my body isn't on board. My body is still acting as if I'm back there in that moment. So EMDR is very much a bottom-up process. So let's talk about how it shows up in your body. In that regard, yes, as soon as someone comes into a room, I'm looking at how do they sit on my couch? Mm-hmm. Are they wow. slouched back? Are they perched at the end? Are they hunched forward? Are they making themselves as small as possible? Are they making themselves as big as possible? How do they sit? And, and not not to mm, make people nervous about, oh, gosh, I'm being observed when I go to therapy, but every part of you shows up in the therapy room every everything you do it we don't do it for no reason Mm -hmm. we are you know we're creatures of learned behaviors and things that we have learned to do to be okay so that shows up in so many different ways so yes in that regard I am already looking to see um how do you present are you very open verbally? Are you very good at verbal expression? Is verbal expression hard for you? Do you seem as if you're someone that can go with the flow really easily? Or do you seem like somebody that's just really happen and it's really hard for you to just kind of go with the flow? Do you dictate the conversation between us or do you hold back and let me kind of pull to get information from you? Um, do you make eye contact? Do you not? None of those things are good or bad. They're just information. Mm-hmm. For me to start to upload so yes i am i am constantly taking in information verbal and non-verbal but really it's it's for the client to tell their story in in the way it impacts them it's not for me to judge um you know how severe is that trauma the interesting thing with trauma is that it doesn't matter how quote unquote severe it was or not if it's traumatic to you it's traumatic to you the memories i have worked on with clients are things sometimes as, as what we would seem as simple as picture day at school or a passing comment from a neighbor. Yeah. But those moments spoke volumes to them about what the world is like and what they, how they act in the world and, and is the world safe or not. Those moments became trauma memories for them. So one thing I always say to clients is you don't have to justify how traumatic something is or to say, well, you know, Susie has it way worse or, you know, my baby's running the NICU for a week, I should be fine. It doesn't matter. If it was traumatic to you, it doesn't matter if it was one day, one month, six months. It, it matters to you and it's showing up in your body, so it matters to me too. I, I really think that people need to hear that because a lot of times mm. people make excuses for something somebody has it worse because nobody's worse is worse than your worse. Everybody feels Mm -hmm. bad in the same level of sadness, um, anxiety, depression. And just because yours may be, you know, sparked by something that you think is insignificant, doesn't mean that something Mm -hmm. that's more significant is sparking something at a different level for somebody else. 
I always feel bad. I speak to a lot of moms that, you know, a lot of new moms and you could see that they have been through it, you know, and they, they, Mm -hmm. their brain still has to work it out. It's very confusing to them. And I work with a lot of like immediate postpartum moms, especially when doing some like lactation counseling and stuff. So some days I'll speak to them, you know, within hours of their birth. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. they're always like, well, you know, this happened, but this didn't happen. I'm like, would you stop? Would you just stop yeah. for a second and just accept that this happened? There is no worse. Yep. This is your worse is mm-hmm. the worse. And your bad yep. is, is, please, guys, for those of you that are listening, don't do that anymore. Don't do but. Yeah. Just do like, oh, this stinks. The end, period. Yeah. Put a period on it and then yep. let's go from there. You don't have to compare yourself to other people ever there is no twin experience that is comparable to anybody else's twin experience, despite what you may think. It's impossible for us all to mm-hmm. have the same experiences because we don't have the same history. Yes. So, yes. And know that there can be one thing I work on with parents a lot is there can be trauma in what didn't happen mm-hmm. in the missing experience. It doesn't have to be in what did happen. It doesn't have to be in the, oh, uh, well, I had a, a great C-section and a great... If you are mourning or you you are you feel yourself kind of feeling lost at the sense of having a missed mm-hmm. experience, here's the birth I didn't get to have, or here is the early experience I didn't get to have. That matters too. So many times I'll talk to clients is what what really lights up your limbic system, and, and we can talk more about the logistics of EMDR, but we talk a lot about the limbic system. That's kind of more of the emotional brain. What lights that up for you? And if it is the missing experience, then let's go there. Mm-hmm. That matters too. Let's process that. It doesn't have to be what did happen. It can really be what didn't, what should have happened and didn't that causes that sense of um, present-day distress that shows up in everyday life. Mm-hmm. Now, that is why that specific point is why I do think that, like, I know, is it possible for twin parents to have, you know, um, uh, more trauma? I kind of feel like we're getting out of the gate with trauma because a lot of us, first of all, I don't know if you were one of them, but a lot of people just expected to have one baby. And then the surprise of that second heartbeat really could be pretty traumatic. Um, And then with that, because of that, you don't get to have perhaps the birth that you really wanted to experience. Perhaps you wanted to, you know, have a typical birth at home with a midwife and everything. Now you have to deliver in an operating room. You have a ton of medical staff around you. You know, already you might be a little bit behind the eight ball just because of that bonus embryo. So that is why I really, mm-hmm. I think that we kind of, we get hit a little bit hard. So Rebecca, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I really would like to discuss some of the signs of trauma and this whole limbic system. I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. All right, guys. So hang on, sit tight. Here's a listen to these words from our sponsors and we'll be right back. To bank or not to bank, that is the question. Sure, this may not have been a a problem in Shakespearean times, but it certainly is a question that comes up all the time now. So if you're currently pregnant with twins, you got to make sure that you do your research on banking your twinies cord blood. A great place to start is at cordblood.com. That's the website of our friends over at Cord Blood Registry. Your newborn's umbilical cord blood contains powerful stem cells that have been used to regenerate healthy blood and immune systems in transplant medicine. These stem cells are also being investigated for their potential use in regenerative medicine. 
Preserving your child's newborn stem cells at birth is an opportunity to provide access to current and potential future stem cell treatment options for your family. So learn more today at cordblood.com or call 1-888-CORDBLOOD. Use code DUO2 for special twins pricing through Twiniversity. All right, so guys, we're back and I really want to dig into the signs of trauma. So Rebecca, you said before that you start, you know, you're looking for body signs. What are some signs Mm -hmm. that somebody may be experiencing in their world that they don't recognize as trauma? And I'm going to like say, guys, you know that I'm very, very honest with you and I'm going to tell Rebecca something too. My son has um, what's called reactive airway disease. And so as a baby, Mm. he would get chronic croup. And then, of course, mm. you know, once he got older, he would still get croup. And then he was five, and they're like, it can't be croup. He's getting too old for croup. And then when he was eight, they're like, it can't be croup. He's good. So now at 15, it's just deemed reactive airway disease, and it's in his larynx. It's not in his lungs. And we had gone on vacation to Disney World when he was, I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. six. And he ended up getting... Uh, an episode of this group and we travel with like drugs but I barely go anyplace Mm. I only go places where I know that there's a hospital that I'm comfortable with so my travel is really limited we're not backpacking in the Adirondacks I'm not getting in an RV and just seeing where the wind takes us I am very strategic (laughs) about where we go because I am petrified Mm -hmm. that he is going to need to be intubated and uh, this, Mm. this is a possibility in my life so I remember on this one specific trip in Disney that he was having this this beginning of this episode and my body started reacting before my mm-hmm. mind did. My mind was like, here's the process. Get the nebulizer, get the, you know, budesonide. Like it was a very methodical process that my brain was going through. However, my body was having a very different experience. I was having, Mm. just to be very clear and whatever, TMI time, I could not control anything from coming out of me. So I was, my, my bladder wasn't holding, my bowels weren't nothing. So now I'm kind of Mm. having to sit on a toilet helping my son. So, well, I think I got this. I really got this. Mm -hmm. My body was Mm -hmm. like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? You think you got this? Like, we're going to work on this together. Mm -hmm. But there was a clear disconnect. And it was the first time that I had realized that this was really having a very significant impact on my life. I had never really thought like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, we can go go see, you know, um, my sister in Virginia because she lives too far from the hospital. Like, I I had not really realized Mm -hmm. that it was totally changing my life. So... To me, it was it was kind of an epiphany that had happened years ago, and I've been trying mm-hmm. to help my brain through it, but I'm a very type A person. So the fact that mm-hmm. my brain and my body don't want to connect is infuriating mm-hmm. to me. It's yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. as like super control freak, like how could you fail me? Like now, now not only am right. I, do I have to deal with a child, but now I have to deal with a failing body. I'm absolutely not body. So for me, I had a very clear sign of trauma and other people may not realize that they're, while that is a very severe, what are some Mm -hmm. of the subtle signs of trauma that somebody may be like, oh yeah, I didn't realize that, 
you know, an eye twitch could be a sign of Mm -hmm. XYZ. When you're looking at something or if somebody wants to do kind of like a little self-reflection, are there things that people could look at that their body is like, hey, maybe we should talk about this? Yeah, absolutely. We refer to, um, or I refer with my clients a lot to what we call the window of tolerance. The window of tolerance is literally imagine like a window and how much the window of tolerance is how much distress can you manage Mm -hmm. before you start to move outside of that window of tolerance in the top end of your window of tolerance so imagine like on the top end of that window you're going to have what we call hyper arousal that is panic attacks anxiety busy 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 not being able to stop racing heart shortness of breath um all of the the symptoms associated with a system that is just absolutely um in fight or flight. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about um, our body's survival mechanisms, we refer to fight as in I'm going to attack to save myself. Flight as in I'm going to run away. If you imagine you were kind of cornered in a dark alley, what would your body do? How, what are those animalistic tendencies for survival? Mm -hmm. Flight is run away. Freeze is exactly as it sounds. You absolutely are catatonic for a second you can't do anything you can't think you can't move and the newest one we've actually added um in recent years is appease so being an uh, extreme people pleaser can be a sign of trauma as well as doing anything that that other person wants to be okay can be a trauma response so when we talk about that window of tolerance on the top end you're seeing that fight and flight Mm -hmm. type response that you're panicked you're adrenaline is pumping through your body you might be shaking shortness of breath dizziness that kind of stuff on the bottom end of your window of tolerance is what we call hypo arousal that is your freeze that is your um dissociation Mm -hmm. checking out numbing out Mm -hmm. so if you find yourself many times outside of what we'd call your window of tolerance that you spend a lot of time or even just significant moments in time in hypo arousal or hypo arousal that is your body being in a survival state that would indicate that whatever that current situation is, your body is responding as if it's life or death. Mm-hmm. Now, we want those responses to be there because sometimes it might be life or death. As you mentioned with your son, there might be cases where, no, this is, I really need this response. I really need this to be here. We want them there. But are we responding in that same way in instances mm-hmm. where it's not life or death? But that situation reminds us so much of something that happened previously when perhaps it was that our body is responding in those same ways. So, yes, checking to see am I in and if you just Google window of tolerance, you see some really great visuals that help really describe what are some of the symptoms of being in hyperarousal and hypoarousal mm-hmm. that might suggest that I'm, I'm bopping in and out of that window of tolerance very quickly into survival, um, survival states that aren't really necessary for that current situation. Those would, those would be some of the symptoms that I would be looking for and talking about initially with clients. That is incredible. So now once we've, once we've determined that trauma exists, mm-hmm. how, how do you get through it? Like, is there a process that I always think of that most people imagine a therapist that you walk into a room, you lay on a leather couch, they have that little thing with the ball, like you pick the one ball up and it hits the other. I don't know, there's a, there's a name for that, but they, they play that or there's kind of like a metronome that's making a ticking noise and the doctor says, tell me how you feel, tell me, like, tell me about your mother, right? So how, it, since that is so opposite of what a, tr- what a real 
therapy experience is like nowadays, especially that there's so much telemedicine going on that I could have a therapy session sitting, you know, in my car because that may be your only private place and being able to communicate with a mental health professional. Once you've determined that trauma does exist, what is the process to get from, you know, point A is the trauma to point Z, which is Mm -hmm. accepting it and living with it in your life? Yeah, there's so many different ways to address trauma. EMDR is just one of them. It's one of the uh, most recommended treatment protocols these days, but it's certainly not the only one. So I don't want people to think that they can only seek an EMDR therapist. Mm -hmm. EMDR um, is, is amazing because what we know about the body is that we don't store trauma memories the way we store other memories. So what you ate for breakfast this morning is not going to be stored in the same part of your brain as a trauma memory. Mm -hmm. When we experience trauma, it's so overwhelming on the brain. It's so much at one time that we store it in our, in parts of our brain that we classify as the limbic system with the, with the plan that it will then be processed out at a later time. However, many times with major trauma, we don't do that. It's too much. The body doesn't, the mind doesn't even know how to start unpacking that. And so it just sits there. And so I will often refer to talk with clients and say, what lights up your limbic system? What, when you think about it, just lights it up as if it, it's happening right there in that moment. Um, we process information while we sleep. So when we're in that uh, REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, mm-hmm. our eyes are moving back and forth because our brain is working very, very hard to process and, and, and put in its rightful place all the information we've taken in in the day. Mm-hmm. A byproduct of our brain working so hard is that our eyes move back and forth because both sides of our brain are working. So um, there was an incredible woman named Francine Shapiro who established EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, by learning that by artificially creating that movement of the eyes back and forth while awake, it can actually get the brain into optimum positioning to start processing information quickly. Uh, so it's not hypnotism. It's, it's nothing, it's not witchcraft and wizardry. It's simply just getting both sides of the brain engaged at one time, which is like putting the coal in the engine to get the train moving. So we do it in a very systematic way. We do it in short bursts. We'll say, just follow, follow my, I will, if we do an eye movement, we kind of have two fingers up and we move them back and forth in front of your face and you just follow the eye movements. Um, And then we'll say, what are you noticing? And all that is doing is getting your brain to start unpacking that information and putting it where it needs to go as opposed to it all just sitting in the limbic system. Mm. We call that back and forth bilateral stimulation. So it's stimulating both sides of the brain. We've since come to really there's many types of bilateral stimulation that are effective. Eye movement is just one of them. Um, Another one with my clients, I have these little pulses that they pulse back and forth in in your hands. So Mm -hmm. you can sit comfortably on the couch. You don't have to have someone in your personal space waving fingers in front of your face. If you don't want to, you can do auditory bilateral stimulation. So you can have headphones on that beat back and forth in each ear. All that is doing is engaging the brain. It's not, it's not, hypnotizing you or have clients say well that just sounds so weird it sounds a lot stranger than it is when you're actually engaging in it it's simply um it's actually a really really nice therapy for people who don't like to talk a lot because there's not much talking involved it's very much let's establish what target memories we're working on let's go to one do a bit of bilateral stimulation 
give me a snapshot of what you're noticing. I don't need a 20 minute, you know, unpacking of it all that we don't want you to go and swim around in your trauma. We just want you to notice it. Notice how, what happens to your body when you bring that to mind. Notice what's happening now. Noticing, noticing, noticing. It's very non-judgmental mm-hmm. observation of what your body is doing and what's going through your head. Um, and some, you know, sometimes with talk therapy, we can get so far, but we can't get to those really deep physical sensations um, that that go along with trauma. So what I will do with clients is talk about EMDR, talk about the the benefits to it, talk about you know some of the things to be aware of, um, and if they are interested in proceeding, we will talk about how does it show up in present day to start with. What are some of the behaviors? What are some of the ways of being that you find challenging? And what's really hard for you to do? That's going to give us an indication right away of what's hard for you to do. It's hard for you to do for a reason. So we then talk about what is the negative cognition that goes along with that? Mm -hmm. Is it that I'm not important? I'm not strong or I'm whatever that thing is, whatever that cognition is. And then we talk about, well, tell me an earlier time you felt like that. And we go back as early as we can because we can work on the present trauma, mm-hmm. but you and I could be in a car accident together and you might be able to get right back in a car the next day and drive home and I might never be able to get in a car again. And that comes down to the way we perceive that trauma and what that trauma said about us and the world. And that started earlier. That started before that moment. And so it's most helpful to actually go back as early as possible to talk about where did that cognition first start? What is your earliest memory of feeling that way? For most of us, that's four, five, three years old sometimes. Just those little moments in time that taught us something about this is the only way to cope. Mm -hmm. And so I use that coping skill next time. Yeah. And if it worked next time, I use it again and again and again. And that becomes how how I see the world, how the lens through which I do life that is then problematic in the present day. Mm-hmm. So EMDR is what we call a three-pronged um, therapeutic style, past, present, and future. So the kind of, um, when you talk about the idea of laying on the couch and talking about your mother, more of a psychodynamic approach, that was very popular for a time. And there is value to that. We don't just show up day-to-day with behaviors that we picked that morning yeah they've they've developed over time uh it's also important to focus on how it shows up right now Mm -hmm. how does it show up in the day-to-day and then what i love about emdr too is that we do what we call future templates so once we've worked through all those memories we actually talk about how would you prefer to respond if your you know if your son started to wheeze how how would I prefer to respond? And we will run a mental movie of how we would prefer to respond in that situation. And every time we come upon a roadblock, a sensation of, Ooh, okay, we're just going to notice it, do a bit of bilateral stimulation, just notice it until it settles. Mm-hmm. Now go back to the beginning of the movie, run it again. Tell me when you get to the next roadblock. And we run it as if it's if it was going to happen, how would I respond? And that further develops those neural connections yeah. to help prepare you for if it, you know, if and when that does come up. I, I am literally sitting here fascinated. I am so fascinated. And I truthfully, I, I literally, I, no joke. I have about nine questions that I want to ask, but oh. I know, I know we can't we, because people have to go finish their grocery shopping or whatever they were doing while listening to this. I can't make this. I definitely, I definitely would like to continue this conversation. But one thing that I just want to say before 
we kind of wrap it up is that a lot of people are under the impression that they can't afford therapy. And I just want to bring up to the fact that a lot of health insurance companies will cover mental health support. Sometimes they may need Mm -hmm. a caveat of, is it grief counseling or is it, you know, is there Mm -hmm. somebody in your family that has a substance abuse issue? So they may have Mm -hmm. little disclaimers. However, Mm -hmm. even if your insurance doesn't cover it, there are a lot, a lot of mental health professionals that will work on a sliding scale. So depending on how much you make will be dependent on how much you pay. So don't Mm -hmm. be afraid to think that, oh, I can't afford it. You know, therapy is just for affluent people. That is not true. Mental health is for everyone. And Mm -hmm. if you have questions about that or if you need further digging, we could certainly try to help you as much as possible by emailing us at community at twiniversity.com. We'll do whatever we can. Unfortunately, we don't have scholarships for mental health, but let me tell you, I bet you that there's somebody that does. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be shocked if there were grants for people to get the support that they need. So now, Rebecca, unfortunately, our time has come to an end, and I'm so aggravated because I really wanted to talk about do people that have a lack of sleep have a harder time holding on to trauma? But we can talk about that. We can't do it, Rebecca. Yeah. What I will say is that if you have less sleep, your window of tolerance is going to be smaller. Yeah. So, yes you're going to pop out of that window of tolerance quicker your window of tolerance is like a pillow it changes day by day depending on your current situation so yes um but i'd be happy to answer any questions the other thing i would say is everybody needs therapy whether it's trauma therapy or not every therapist has needs a therapist and i do and everybody needs therapy when you are a twin parent especially you barely get any adult conversation that's not interrupted every couple of minutes it's so valuable to have an hour of adult interaction mm-hmm. to start just talking about life. That's, yeah. That in itself is therapeutic. Everyone should have a therapist. If, however you can access it, go to psychologytoday.com. You can put in your zip code, the insurance type you have, the type of therapist you're looking for, and it will bring up someone that fits exactly what you need within your area. So yes, they have sliding scales. Yes, it's more accessible than you think. EAPs, there's even things now like betterhelp.com, which is more kind of text therapy. It's not as, in my opinion, as valuable as face-to-face, but it's better than nothing. Talk to someone. Everybody needs somebody to talk to, especially when you're a twin parent. Rebecca, I can't thank you enough for this time today. Thank you so, so much for joining us. We love you, Rebecca. And yep. guys, if you need Rebecca, you could just email her at Rebecca at AttentoCounseling.com. Or if you're like, you know what, I don't want to mail her, email her directly, just send it to us, community at twiniversity.com. We are literally here to help you every step of the way. I have totally been traumatized by being a twin parent, so I wouldn't be surprised if the majority of us have. And I don't know if it makes you feel better, listener, that I am super traumatized. <laughs> I hope I hope it does, because you're not alone. And that's why Twiniversity exists, is because we, we are never alone. This is now our... 12th year that we're going into a Twiniversity and I am determined to make sure that you, yes you listening to this right this very second that you are not by yourself in this. We got you. So email us at community at twiniversity.com and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast because we have, I don't know about 47 million of them and there's going to be something for everybody and most of them you could listen to with the kids in the car. I've been pretty good by, by curbing my tongue. So <laughs> thanks so much guys for listening and until next time I will see you later alligators. Thanks.